Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today as we cha- take on the challenge of priorities. How do we set them? As a leader, do they look different than if we're a follower? Are there really any followers that aren't leaders? If someone looked at your Outlook calendar, your online checkbook, or any other time-tracking or money-tracking mechanism, what would they see as your priorities? We got Rick Box on the line today from the Integrity Resource Center. He's going to join us to talk about his brand-new book, Unconventional Business. And we're going to tackle today setting priorities as a leader. And we're also going to sneak a little topic conversation in there talking about integrity. Rick Box? Welcome back to I Work For Him. Hi, Jim. How are you? You know, I am really ready for the pollen season to get done here in Florida. (laughs) Last we were together in Kansas in the fall. The leaves were falling. Winter was coming. And in Florida, we don't really have winter, but we do have a pollen season where it snows yellow several months of the year, and I am so ready for it to start raining again. It would be really great. But enough about me, Rick Box. What's going on there in Kansas City? Here, here's here's the question for you: If people looked at your Outlook calendar, your checkbook, Rick, what would they see as priorities in your life? Well, typically they uh, they would see that I love to start my mornings out right out of the gate with uh, a special time with the Lord, so that I can uh, just dial in to who my Heavenly Father is and what He wants for me for the day. And I would say, uh, you know, financially, the priorities also would be in alignment with that, is that uh, we are strong proponents of uh, giving from our first fruits uh, to the uh, work of the kingdom. And uh, from there, we try and remain uh, debt-free and loose of... uh, any hindrances, and so hopefully uh, someone would look at those things and, and see that uh, my uh, walk lines up as much with the talk as possible. Well, and, you know, and here's a question for you. So you do that morning quiet time as a top priority, and I've seen you do it. I've spent, you know, Martha and I spent a couple of nights with you and Kathy late last fall, so I know when I got up early, you're already doing your devotions, and I know it's a priority for you. How often do you and Kathy get a chance to pray together as a couple? to keep that priority a priority in your marriage. Yeah, you know, um, 
we do some every day, not often as much as I would like in the fact that uh, we're both wired differently. Kathy is a night owl, and so she'd rather do uh, prayer time late at night, and I'm usually fading by then, uh, but we do find time uh, to, to plug in together and and pray just uh, sometimes weeks aren't as frequent as I would like. I'm also more introverted, and so I kind of like having my uh, quiet time and and walling that off with God. But, uh, you know, but certainly we do see the priority and the importance of uh, Kathy and I joining together in prayer and certainly make that uh, a priority. Just sometimes it doesn't always work out as well as we'd like. Rick, as, as we talk about the Lord and our priorities in our lives. I saw your uh, brand new quarterly update came out yesterday on Integrity Resource Center. You've got some pretty exciting things going on having to do with the unconventional business book. What's some of the new stuff that you got going on? What's some of the stuff that you're launching? Uh, yes, we're working on uh, trying to roll out some small business owner peer advisory groups is one big uh, function that we're trying to get done. We feel like there's a void for the smaller businesses. There's a lot of great CEO roundtable groups out there that serve uh, larger businesses. But if you've got 10 employees or less, it's a pretty lonely place, and they need a place to go to plug in with other like-minded business leaders and to get a biblical perspective and some teaching and some equipping to be able to help do that. And so we're uh, focused on that, and as well as uh, we also see the need for professional women. So my wife, Kathy, is uh, launching a ministry for the uh, professional women, and she's got a great group of uh, ladies here in Kansas City that are uh, helping put shape to that, and already an exciting group of women in St. Louis as well uh, that we're meeting with this Friday to, uh, to try and work on kicking off there as well. And when you guys got that stuff all figured out there in the Midwest, Martha and I would love to partner with you guys to, to, to launch that stuff here in Tampa Bay and beyond. Because, as you just said, you saw that there's a kind of a gap in that real small Christian business owner uh, place uh, where, where a lot of the groups serve those bigger Christian business owners that this is a group designed specifically, just like Martha and I used to have our group called Business His Way, very similar idea. We would love to partner with you guys to launch that in Tampa Bay when you're ready for that. Absolutely. That would be fun. All right. So tell me, what caused you to write this book, Unconventional Business? What, what, where did the title come from? You know, it really kind of came out of the thought of how the world says to do business and how so many people get caught up in the trap of that. And the world has fads that pass every month. And so people feel whipsawed in business from one direction to another. But I realize that there's time-tested biblical principles that have been around for thousands of years. And what if people did business unconventionally? What if they did it according to God's design and recognized what those biblical principles were and built a foundation on that and quit compartmentalizing Sunday and Monday uh, away from each other. We wanted them to integrate it so that Christians were known as Christians in the marketplace. How old were you before you realized you were compartmentalizing your faith between your faith and your work? 
you know, I came really to Christ uh, in my early 30s, and so I was uh, really compartmentalizing for uh, a long time because I pretty much shut God out of most of my life. But uh, after I came to Christ, I was blessed to have been immersed right away in with a uh, a business leader that was leading our organization that truly modeled God's principles. And so I fairly quickly in was able to see the value in living the same all times of the week rather than Sunday feeling and looking different than Monday. You know, I, I love that perspective, and I love the fact that you had a mentor slash guy, a guy who discipled you early on in your career, and that really, that changed, that shifted a whole bunch of perspective. I mean, that gave you a whole new perspective on life, that guy that you worked for, didn't it? Oh, yeah, just shook my world to the core. Now, do you, are you still in contact with that guy? Is he still around? Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, he's, he's running a bank in uh, Kansas now. Oh, what a what a blessing that was for you and Kathy to get exposed to the gospel, to get exposed to the scriptures, to have your life turn around like that. You know, Rick, you just uh, we, every day you do an integrity resource moment. You do an integrity moment, and we just listen to it. And there's some people listen to the to the podcast that didn't get to hear that, but they can get people can sign up to get that delivered to their mailbox every day, can't they? Absolutely. Yes, they can just go to the homepage at integrityresource.org and uh, sign up right there. Well, and every day you you have an amazing ability. We've talked about this on the air. You have an amazing ability to say what I have to take an hour to say, and you can say it in about 45 seconds. So, <laughs> But one of my listeners did have a question for you, and they, they emailed me, and they said, how come Rick uses a British guy to promote his book? <laughs> well, uh, he's been a longtime friend and has a unique voice so that people uh, – their attention is grabbed whenever he comes on. They know the integrity moment's coming soon thereafter. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And and the topic that you talked about, I'm going to jump into it. You talked today about a lot of companies really encouraging um, compromising integrity. Uh, and, and I worked for an organization like that about five years out of college. I worked for an organization that literally, if you didn't compromise your integrity, you would never succeed. And, mm. and there's a lot of that stuff out there. How, how, yes, do you help, how do you coach a Christ follower that's in that situation? You know, really, it's just a matter of trying to hear what is the, the situation that they're faced with and trying to give them a biblical perspective that there is God's way of doing it and there's man's way, and man's way thinks that you'll make more money cutting corners, doing things unethically, and you may in the short term but in the long term, you're undermining your reputation, you're undermining your credibility, and you'll ultimately end up with people looking at you like, why should I do business with this person? He's going to cheat me. And so yeah, you and, try and, and help me. And how often do you, I mean, I, when I have conversations with either Christ followers in, in business or non-Christ followers, when you have the conversation, people find out what I talk about on the air, and, and I bring it up, and I said, listen, everybody knows a Christian that has come to do business with them, and they brought up their faith, and eventually they lost money to. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, everybody does. Everybody does. And not not everybody keeps track of the people they lost money to that weren't Christ followers, but the people that they know professed faith in Jesus that they then lost money to, those are things that really sear in people's minds. That's that's Absolutely. real damaging. 
It it really is, and that's why it's so important that if we are going to uh, be waving uh, Christ's banner out in the marketplace, that we need to do all that we can to to walk accordingly, realizing that we're all flawed, we're all going to make mistakes, but the way you handle those mistakes and what and how you own up to them is really critical. Well, let's talk about that because we're talking today about preparing leaders to lead. And I made the joke before the break is that I thought all leaders were born. I was born a leader, which I think I was born a leader, but not everybody is born a leader. But we all need to be trained to be good leaders or great leaders. How do you approach somebody where you've seen that behavior, that lack of integrity? How do you as a business coach, how do you encourage them? How do you approach them about that display of a lack of integrity? Well, I mean, it's sometimes you have to approach it from a pragmatic standpoint of letting them know how that's going to impact them in the marketplace so that they see the value in it. I remember uh, consulting with a company uh, down in Florida many years ago, and boy, this leadership team, they violated about every ethic known to man. And actually, he called me in and said, I want to hire you because if there's truly a biblical way to do integrity in business, I'm not even close, but I want to be. And so I spent wow. a lot of a lot of time with him over the years trying to coach him away from practices that he had incorporated in his life that were just hideous. They it would just make your skin crawl, but he'd been doing it so long in the business world that he was having a hard time readjusting and trying to do it the right way. And so we were able to try and walk through all that with him and help him see a different perspective and change some of the habits that he was doing. Well, and it's, it's a lot of times it's just bringing to the attention uh, what the scriptures say for people. A lot of times people don't even know how right. they're, they, they can't see it. They can't see the forest for the trees because I was mentored by a couple of quote unquote Christ followers who said, hey, what you do on Sunday is Sunday, what you do on Monday is Monday. It's different. Business is business. It's not church. You know, there's a different way of doing business. I mean, th- those are what my mentors taught me from church. Mm. Uh, and so yeah. I I had to unlearn that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's very common. And that's one of the biggest uh, hurdles, I think, that many Christians have to overcome is they've been told and taught that you don't mix your faith with the business world, and therefore, you know, it's okay to cut corners. It's always amazed me that we say we want an ethical workplace, but then we tell people that you need to check your faith at the door. Well, if your faith is what shapes your ethics, why would you tell your people to leave that at the door and leave it at home? Don't bring it to the office. It just doesn't make any sense. So let's talk about this training up leaders to be leaders. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So Matthew 6.33 says, hey, we're supposed to seek God first above all else. Why is that a key for leaders, and what does that look like? You know, I think it's a key because if we want to do things according to God's plan, we have to recognize that he owns it all, that he is sovereign over everything, and he is the fountain of knowledge and wisdom that we can draw upon. 
But he's asking us, and Jesus was quoted in that verse, uh, Jesus is asking us to seek first the kingdom of God and his ways. And if we do, he'll add all these other things to us. And so it's important for leaders to recognize that, set their own selfish interests aside, and instead put God's ways first. Well, give me an example of a leader that's done this that we all might know. Uh, you know, in my book, I talk about uh, a guy named Stanley Tam that uh, started a company called U.S. Plastics in Ohio. And and Stanley is just an amazing story. Uh, the last I heard, he's still alive, and I think he's now 101 years old. No way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he has, uh, you talk about seek God first, in the 1940s, he was down and out, and his business looked like it was on the ropes. And uh, he cried out to the Lord and felt like the Lord instructed him that they needed to be partners, and that he needed to turn half of his company over to the Lord. And so at that time, he set up a foundation, put 50% of the stock in uh, that foundation. And then later, uh, many years later, uh, Stanley believed that the Lord was directing him to finish the job and give a hundred percent to the Lord, which he did. And I once asked him if he, he regretted that. And he just smiled and said, you know, that foundation has given over $200 million to fund evangelistic efforts around the world. I think it was a wise investment. Yeah, can you imagine what a cool thing that is? So as you sit down with with small business, Christian small business leaders and 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 small business leaders and Christian leaders of all different types of organizations, what's one of the first things you do as you teach leaders to seek God first? What's one of the how are, what are some of the questions you ask them in order to find out whether God is first in their lives or not? You know, it's um it, it's really trying to dig in and find out what our their priorities, and do they have uh, the right alignment with what God would have for them? And so they just need to uh, take a look at, am I really putting God first? Am I seeking God first? And what does that look like? And so for them, it may mean that they need to carve out time to, to pray and spend time with the Lord each morning and listening to, to the Father and what He has to say to them. But also, it means that they have to understand and apply God's Word to their workplace. And so there's a lot of things that they can do to start enhancing that relationship with God that will just help them uh, on the path. Well, I mean, isn't it true, in order to become a consistent biblical leader, I mean, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of practice. It's a lot of, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to implement this today. I'm going to work on implementing this for the next several months. I'm going to implement the next thing. Because it's not it's not like you can overnight just change everything you do because you need to let the Holy Spirit kind of start to shape your heart in all of this, right? I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, or does it? No, it certainly doesn't happen overnight. You've, uh, I mean, you can have a changed heart overnight so that you now have the motive and the desire to change but reality is, is old habits die hard, and we have to work on it. We have to allow the Lord to uh, to do a mighty work in our heart so that it can start being transformed, and then we're in more alignment with what God would have for us. So when you're talking to a leader, and, and again, in, on 
and I work for him when we talk about leaders, we always say, okay, these leaders are people who have influence over one or more people. Because a lot of times, Christian small business owners may only have one person uh, right. that, that is in there as an employee. But we need to recognize that leaders are really people that have influence over one or more. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm not a leader. But they really are a leader. What are... When you lay out priorities, when you try to teach them priorities, what are give me the priority list. I mean, how do you tell them, hey, this is where it should lay out because of Scripture? Um, when you ask that question, Jim, priorities for, for what? There's a lot of different things. Well, I'm sorry, let's just start off with personal priorities, because in order to be a great leader, you need to have your personal priorities in order before you go to work and you know, right. start working on work priorities. Yes, and so they they need to understand what where is my time going and where are my resources going, and I think a great starting point is usually to take a hard look at that. Uh, I remembered speaking one day to a group uh, about ordering their priorities, and I talked about putting God first, and then uh, and then their family needed to be a high priority and that that was their primary ministry and, and then their career. And there was a guy there that day that that completely revolutionized things for him because he realized from that conversation that when he looked at his own priorities, that reality was is that uh, he had put his family last and everything else had piled on and, and, and the Lord was not prominent either. Rick, this conversation about priorities is, you know, everybody's got a, their own opinion on what my priorities should look like. And, <clears throat> you know, I've heard, you've heard a million sermons on this. Okay, maybe not. Maybe you've heard a hundred sermons on this in, in the last 45 years of me going to, to church. Talk to me about conversations that you have with Christian small business owners, with, with leaders within organizations about priorities and a success story. Maybe you can give us a success story. Somebody, you mentioned something before the beginning of the, or in the last segment, but a success story. Somebody that you've worked with that was messed up, that saw the light that their priorities were out of whack and they fixed it and it saved their marriage, it saved their kids. I mean, give us an example. Yeah, actually, just before the break, I was sharing about a gentleman that uh, heard me speak on this subject, and he realized that his priorities were really upside down, that uh, he had pushed God to the side, his family to the side, and he was all consumed by trying to get his business uh, profitable. And whenever he heard uh, you know, my, uh, my talk on priorities and God's perspective on it, it just really slapped him in the face with the reality of where he was and where he needed to be. And he began making intentional decisions. And so one thing he did, uh, Jim, was is, uh, he decided that he really hadn't been investing in his children like he should. And so he made a commitment to his wife and his kids that he was going to cut out of work early every day to go pick up his kids from school so that he could spend that time immediately after school with his children. And he did that for quite some time as a way of reminding himself that uh, he needed his priorities to be different than what they had been. And there's so many of us that are leaders in organizations, leaders in business that struggle with that because it's very easy to get caught up in the fun that we call work. It's just easy to do. Uh, but we also, none of us want to grow up and live with regret that we haven't spent enough time with our kids because, as you know and I know, our kids grow up and they're gone. I mean, they yeah. just, <laughs> they're gone. 
and, and, and you don't get them back. They don't move back. Well, some of them want to move back in, but most of them are gone. You know, but then there's the, the priorities that as business leaders in learning how to put God first in our decisions. That's, it's a different set of priorities, but how do you train up business owners and leaders and leaders of organizations to incorporate God at the top of their decision-making chain? You know, that's a great question, Jim, and it's hard for people sometimes, but it can be understood at a head level, but it's hard to move it to the heart level, and you really have to let go of uh, control of some items. You have to recognize that uh, God wants a say in the decisions that we're making in in our business life. And so one of the steps that we can take is truly submitting those major decisions to the Lord, praying and listening and seeking out His will before we make those major decisions that so many people make very rashly and quickly when they need to be actually submitting it to the Father. And so when we encourage people to do that, they begin to see the value as God directs them in actually seeking him first. Well, and what kind of a paradigm shift do you see in people when they realize, huh, I know I've got a lot of business talent, I've got a lot of experience, I could go off my own wisdom, but when you see, Rick Box, when you see that business leader that comes to you at Integrity Resource Center that says, okay, I want to learn how to put God at the top of my decision-making matrix. I want to learn how to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit and my workplace. I want to learn how to utilize God's Word to make those kind of decisions. How do you help people to understand that unfair advantage that we've been given? <laughs> well, I, I, they have to be willing to um, embrace it at some point, but first they have to actually learn that it's a possibility. I think many people... They wonder, is God really there? Is he listening to me? Does he really care about the work that I'm doing? And so they need to have the opportunity to for God to actually show up. But if they're not going to ask and seek him and his counsel and things, and if they're not going to look for those kinds of uh, choices that God may lead them into, then they're, they may not get it. And so we just try and help them to take that step to actually seek God, to look for what are the principles in Scripture that I ought to be applying here, and if I do, what's it going to look like, and how do I do that practically? Hey, we're talking today with Rick Box from the Integrity Resource Center. Find him online at integrityresource.org, integrityresource.org. In fact, in the name is the word integrity. Rick, when you founded the Integrity Resource Center, it was back in in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Uh, Yes, 2001. Mm -hmm. 2001. So, But you put integrity at the center of the conversation, Integrity Resource Center. Why was it that you said, wow, I'm just seeing so... What was it about integrity that you were seeing that you said, I've got to start a ministry that focuses on this? Yes, you know, as we really researched names, it was one of those moments that we thought about, you know, using Christian in the title of the ministry and things like that. But uh, I just remember there was a prayer time where I was praying over all of that, and I just felt impressed that God wanted me 
to uh, call this Integrity Resource Center. And kind of what I journaled one day was is that if you use the name Christian, the Christians may hold me accountable, but if I use the word integrity, the whole world's going to hold me accountable. And I think that's Ooh. what God wanted for us. Wow, that's pretty intense. I like, I kind of like that. So say that again. If you use the word Christian, Christians will hold you accountable. If you use the word integrity, everybody holds you accountable? Virtually. That's that's the message that I felt like the Lord led me when I was trying to name name this place. I, I like it. I, I, I like it. And you've got on your website, and we haven't talked about this in a while, but you've got this on your website, this fire assessment, which really helps people determine what factors in their workplace. Yeah, it's an acronym that stands for Faith, Integrity, Relationships, and Excellence. And we want people to have a tool that they can go and take a self-assessment and to determine how well are they living out with a courageous faith in their workplace, how well are they doing with integrity, and then the relationships includes their relationship with God, but also the relationships with others around them, and then finally, excellence. And so this is a, an assess- assessment tool that people can use to get scores back as to how well they're doing in each of those four key areas, and then it will also give them a summary of how their scores compare to the average people that have taken the assessment. And people could go out there on your website and check that out for free, right? Yes. Yep. It's a free resource. So that's out there on integrityresource.org, integrityresource.org. All right. So let's talk about integrity because you don't have to be a leader to have compromised your integrity, and you don't have to be a leader uh, in order to be concerned about integrity but all Christ followers should be concerned about their integrity because it's really part of our witness. What exactly is integrity? (laughs) You know, the dictionary defines integrity as strict adherence to a moral code of ethics. And that's always been fascinating to me because if you just think of that, it begs the very first question of, well, whose code of ethics am I actually going to adhere to? And you could actually contend that you have integrity, according to that definition, if you held to the mafia's code of ethics. It's not claiming whose code of ethics you're going to hold to. But if we look at a biblical perspective on integrity, then it's a whole different can of worms. Instead, it now becomes God's view on integrity, and that's the moral code that we're trying to adhere to. Is it a can of worms, or is it more of a can of diamonds? <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. All right, so how does integrity impact our decision-making as leaders? Yes, you know, there was a Barna study that was done uh, right after uh, 9-11, where they were trying to determine how people actually make ethical decisions. And they broke it down into four big categories. And it was fascinating to me to look at the research on this because the first one, and the one that was most prevalent, was my personal code of ethics. So basically, people were making decisions according to what they thought was right. And if you think about that logically, 
If you have an entire workplace of people making decisions according to what they think is right, I mean, we can remember back to when Bernie Madoff went to prison. What he thought what he was doing was right in his own eyes, and many leaders do what they think is right in their own eyes, but it's wronging everybody around them. And so it's a, a pretty dangerous position when people are actually making their ethical decisions according to their own personal code of ethics. Well, and that's that moral relativity stuff that we deal with all day long. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy because you're like, well, what feels good for me? Well, that's good for me. It might not be good for you, but right. what's good for you is not really good for me. And it's very convenient to just eliminate the Lord out of that because then you eliminate the potential for guilt, but it doesn't really. So when you look at the role of integrity in your life and and how biblical integrity was woven into you by your mentor at the bank as a newbie at the bank how did that impact how you did business you know it had a dramatic impact on me because prior to that my life i was not a very good person i was one of those people that usually made decisions based upon what pleased me personally and so as a person right in the marketplace, uh, as a 16-year-old, I was stealing product from, from my uh, employer. I got fired once upon a time for a, a charging company or charging personal gas to the company credit card. And, you know, I, I made some really, really poor decisions. But after I really accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and I had a a dramatic change in my life, suddenly I began using God's perspective as my code of ethics and realizing that God did see and know everything that I was doing. Therefore, I wanted to please Him, and I wanted to do it right. And so it was actually a great filter for me rather than in previous times just choosing my own path and not caring of the consequences. And what happens when we choose our own path? You know, when we start to choose our own path, instead of really looking at a biblical perspective, a lot of, you know, it might be okay for a little while, but it really starts to snowball on us, doesn't it? I mean, did it snowball in your life where one bad decision led to another bad decision that led to another bad decision? Oh, absolutely, because you do end up oftentimes covering up your previous bad decisions, or uh, even if you get away with it, you start justifying what you're doing, and so it grows bigger and bigger. I used to, when I was in banking, Jim, I used to have to investigate bank frauds. And I remember when I first started doing that, I assumed that people were these terrible folks that would wake up one day and say, I'm going to embezzle you know, all these millions of dollars. Reality was, is what I discovered, was typically it was an individual that had a crisis point. They needed a little bit of money. They figured out a way to get it. And then they really honestly thought they would pay it back until they got away with it. And then the next time something came up, they said, oh, it worked last time. I'll try it again, and it would get bigger and bigger. Was there ever uh, – what are some of the things – I'm going to change the question. Are there, what are some of the things you often see Christ followers compromising their integrity for in the workplace? Hmm. You know, there's a lot of different areas I think that uh, people can get caught up in. 
you know, company time and misusing company time is certainly one of those areas that we can steal time away from our employer uh, to do other things and not even realize it sometimes, especially whenever you look at uh, the advent of the Internet and computers on everyone's desk. It's really easy to go surfing and shopping and be lost on there for, you know, for hours not remembering that that's actually time that we're taking away from our employer. You know, so that that's one area that I see fairly commonly. Well, and, and I think, you know, the employee theft, I think of things like, you know, people just, you know, walking home with some paper or maybe staples and rubber bands or or whatever it may be. That I mean, people often think, well, it's just it's just <clears throat> it's nothing. They're never going to miss it. Right. Yeah, and that that ends up going to a lot of rationalization that happens in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, sometimes the employer may not care if they knew, but you owe it to them to at least ask rather than walking out the door with stuff that's owned by someone else. All right, so let's talk about some ways that you and I as Christ followers in our workplaces and everybody listening, what are some practical ways we can reinforce behavior that reflects the integrity of our faith in Jesus. You know, what are some of the things that we can do to 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 fill our minds with things that will build up integrity? You know, that's a great question. I think that uh, number one is, is God's word is the source of wisdom, <laughs> wisdom and knowledge that we can turn to. And so, if we're not in God's word, and there's an awful lot of people that are Christians that are biblically illiterate, and therefore, how can we change behavior if we aren't learning what uh, God's Word says? And so, well, and let's clar- let's clarify what biblically illiterate means. It doesn't mean that you can't read the Bible. It just means you're not. So you have no idea right. what it really says. That's right. And we've got uh, so many people that are lost. I was just having lunch with a guy today that said he was trying to share a story with a guy yesterday at work that, uh, you know, he believed was a fellow Christian. And he was simply talking about the David and Bathsheba story. And he said the guy's eyes glazed over because he didn't know what he was talking about. He had never heard of the David and Bathsheba story, but yet he was you know, a guy that goes to church fairly regularly. And and so I think there's a lot of examples like that today that people aren't grounded in the Word, and so they don't have the context of the valuable insights and stories and principles that we can pull out of Scripture and then apply to our own personal life. I think it's also really important in the workplace, especially if you know other Christ followers that are in that workplace, is to develop accountability with people. I mean, yes. that's accountability with your boss is a given, but not always, but to develop accountability with other Christ followers to make sure, especially if you're in an environment that kind of pushes you to the edge of integrity, even in your position. Yeah. How, how have you seen accountability be a positive thing? You know, I actually, uh, I was meeting with a guy recently that he and a small management team that owned this company uh, made a commitment whenever they took over the company years ago that they made a personal covenant with each other that we're going to walk through life together, we're going to hold each other accountable, and we're going to do this. And one of them was the CEO, but he told this group 
I may be the CEO, and someone has to make the final decisions, but whenever I walk out of that meeting after making a decision, I expect the rest of you to be equals with me and to hold me accountable so that I don't go off track. And they've done that for many, many years, and they've had this built-in accountability that has enabled this company to stay on track. Rick Box with the Integrity Resource Center talking about unconventional business. Thanks for being on I Work for him today. Thank you. All right. It's been a great conversation with Rick Box. If you want to check out Integrity Resource Center, go online to integrityresource.org, integrityresource.org. Get a copy of Rick's book, Unconventional Business, while you're out there. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. You know what? My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.